0: Hey everyone, Uh, this is Spencer editing the video. Uh, I had some issues with the audio uh, on my track specifically, kind of getting out of sync uh, about a half an hour or so in, so I apologize for that. I tried to get it uh, as clean as I could, but um, there are a couple places where uh, my voice overlaps, so sorry about that, guys.
1: Hello, and welcome once again to episode 17 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name once again is Dimitri, and I'll be your host for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Fernando and Spencer. So before we get into our main topics, uh, Spencer, while we were starting up the call, I heard a familiar chime in the background. (laughs) care to chime in with what that was.
0: Yes, that was um, a new uh, MacBook Air, which previously I said I probably wouldn't be buying anything. And and yet here I am. Uh, I'm in the middle of trying to fix it. Uh, I've kind of broken it already. Uh, I had some issues. I bought it last night. Uh, I braved Black Friday to go sit in the Best Buy parking lot uh, for them to bring it out to me. And it was like an hour and a half wait it was kind of long but um i have it started you know installing everything and then my app store downloads randomly wouldn't install they would just sit on waiting for literally hours uh so this morning i am trying to reinstall mac os and uh the problem is macOS has some weird issues right now with uh just going into recovery mode and reinstalling macOS. It doesn't do it for some reason. It always errors out. So, um, this morning I've been, you know, uh, making a bootable USB, uh, from another Mac and trying to do it over here. So, uh, it's been a fun morning, but, uh, I, I hope that's not necessarily the case for everyone. I haven't really had much time to play with it cause it's just kind of been in this broken state for the last 12 hours or so.
2: <laughs>
1: Damn. That sucks. I, I know for the machines yeah, that must not, not be named, uh, you could use Apple Configurator from another Mac to kind of reflash them uh, because they're all iOS devices. Yeah, even. I'm just
2: kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tried to do that, and it uh, oh man, it just said that it has another error. <laughs> um, I tried to do Apple Configurator, but it would never go into DFU mode, so I'm not quite sure uh, what happened. And now my USB just said that it didn't work. It has the same error. So I guess I'm going to have to get Apple configurator. To work uh,
1: <laughs> one thing you can always try is just like continuously reset that NVRAM. I don't know if there is NVRAM anymore. Um, <laughs> mm. n- n- brand new machines, oh, yeah, new architectures. Uh, so like reset that NVRAM, reset that PRAM, smash that, uh, uh, system, uh, power controller. What's S- the S- S- SPM. Yep.
0: Yeah, SP-ROM, yep, or whatever. And leave a comment. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, well,
1: and subscribe. So uh, if we hear uh, future chimes throughout the episode, we'll know you're debugging this issue, so keep us updated if you make any progress.
0: I'll try to not do it during this, but I'll I'll let you guys know how it goes maybe on the next episode or something, unless I have just like a big old (laughs) thin and light uh, paperweight here going on we'll, we'll continue to be continued, make sure you listen our, to the our next very episode. own follow-up
1: starting next, episode. <laughs> next time. <on laughs> um, so that said, yeah. a few weeks ago, Apple has decided to change the commission rate from 30% to 15% for all sales on the app store. What could this mean? Um, so we kind of just glossed over this. when it happened, because we had way more interesting topics to talk about. Uh, but now that the news is kind of settled and we've heard lots of people's opinions um I wanted to hear what your uh guys take is on this change, uh whether it's something that Apple is doing from from the good of their heart or if it's something that external pressures have kind of forced them to and whether it even matters uh in the long uh in the long run. So, uh Fernando, why don't you start?
2: Mm. This is a difficult topic for sure. Um Just thinking about the facts, like it's, I've, I've seen on Twitter in my, in my like immediate sphere that it is in general, a very positive, uh, a a very positive thing for a lot of indie developers. Like it's a, if you take into account like some weird percentages, it's not only 15, it, it goes up to like 21% effective, um, uh, like an effective raise for, for, for indies. So I think that's amazing, but I don't know. I'm I'm on the uh I don't know if you guys have seen the uh, DHH rant on Twitter. <laughs> no, uh no. D- DHH is the creator of Basecamp, one of the creators of Basecamp. Uh And hey. Yeah, and hey, like partnered uh Yeah, uh, yeah the partner of Jason Fried's in general, like uh, financial things. Um yeah. and he's been very vocal about Apple. Uh and he he was very vocal about this being like, wow, like nothing happened. It's just a 15% for like, like he stated that 98% of the revenue comes from non indie developers. So this change is like, like, it's just, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I'm always the negative part, which I hated sometimes, but it's like this, this doesn't seem like Apple trying, like this was just so easy to give out. They don't put anything on the line. It's goodwill. They probably help a little bit their their case um, for the, uh, the, like the, the the case that the U.S. government... Yeah, the antitrust thing. So, I don't know. I feel like this is too little too late in general. It's welcome for sure, but it's too little too late.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree a little bit. Um, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, I thought it was pretty funny that, you know, like uh, Epic is... <laughs> specifically not a part of that and which is kind of ironic because they're the ones that's <laughs> like instigated this whole thing uh but yeah very like fernando agree. said uh, it most of the app store revenue doesn't come from that 98 percent or whatever of uh developers uh who will receive this 15 cut so it's like it, it's like very pr you know wise looking very good but realistically apple loses almost no money um, just because most developers don't make over a million dollars. Um, now that said, is it, um, is it a million dollars ever? Is it a million dollars per year? So Do if you in know a
1: year, uh, you make year. under a million dollars, then next year you are eligible for, uh, the 15%. And this is a million dollars that you make, not that Apple has okay. collected, uh, and then paid you 70% of. So okay, it's, so realistically it's more of like, like sales a little over a million um, but once right. you pass that threshold okay. then the next year you're ineligible uh and you have to wait another year of being below a million mm. for it to kick in again
0: interesting it's just, it just badly designed that. to be honest
2: because it's like if you're almost at the cap on december uh, it's probably better pull, for pull you your app to... off of the app store yeah that's weird yeah It is weird. Um, And now that you mentioned it that way, like the 98% and the two thing, I know I already said it, but when you said it, I was like, wow. So they're giving a tax break to the 1%. (laughs) All right. 98% of the revenue, it's like it's unchanged. And the one and 2% like, oh, yeah, you You get 1% though, but
1: that's a separate problem. (laughs) Right. I don't know how
2: to say that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No,
0: but you're right. You're right. Yeah. I mean, for them, it's like they're going to lose very very little money but like it helps them make you know helps make them look good in this time where the entire you know community essentially is is mad at them and uh, in in one way or another um maybe not everyone but a, a fair amount so i definitely think that this is some sort of like a pr stunt just to kind of uh, get indie developers off their back maybe on their side a little bit more yeah. um but then you know the the question is People like uh, Amazon and Netflix—they probably still get fifteen percent. Like Netflix doesn't get anything, so they don't know what happens for the
1: apps anymore. Yeah, all of their sales are direct from their website. If you download the Netflix app, there's no way for you to subscribe or anything.
0: Oh, I know about Netflix, but what about Amazon? Didn't they? That's
1: that's a business deal. (laughs) Okay, I don't know. I don't know anywhere Mm. else to say it. Um, The very cynical take is that if you are a developer making a thousand bucks on the app store a year, this change from 30% to 15% makes no difference. You could have raised your product by $1 and that would have made a more significant difference for you than this cut is going to do. This cut in the most cynical cynical takes uh, is going to not really amount to anything because. Ultimately, the main problem is not the cut, it's the race to the bottom in terms of pricing uh, that a developer can't make anything. Yep. Whether you make 70 cents on that $1 minimum price or you make 85 cents, that's like, yes, that's an improvement because you can't get any lower than that, even though subscriptions, you can theoretically hit 50 cents a month if you really uh, wanted to. But that's, that's never been the problem. Whether Whatever Apple takes, Uh, they could have taken 50% and people would have been just as on board with the app store up until now, uh, as they would have like Apple taking 30% was kind of a good deal back when they did it. Uh, so that's why it's kind of stayed for so long. Mm -hmm. And so many people have focused on this 30%. Let's uh, like, take a quick look at who is focusing on it. It's people that are making way over a million dollars in revenue a year, because that 15% is like free money for them of like, oh. Uh, we've already optimized everything. This is the last thing that we can kind of push for. Um, and it doesn't apply to them. So it's like in the ultimate ironies of ironies, they are just kind of doing this out of spite, uh, for the most part. And like, again, ultimate of ultimate cynical takes. Yes. An indie developer that has been consistently making around a hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, from selling apps. Yes. They are going to get a raise out of this. But the long-term effect of this, like I remembered, I think Stephen Trotten-Smith said, this is essentially canceled out inflation from the past 10 years of uh, the App Store. So if you kept your prices the same, then you're kind of earning the same thing you were earning 10 years ago. Um, And that's not an improvement. That's just things staying stable uh, for the most part. And that's not something that can improve further. It's not like Apple can go another 15% and then another 15% after that, it's... (laughs) Like, there's no more to go, uh, really. So Apple's commission is not the problem. Don't. I wouldn't say you should focus on that. Focus on your price. Like, you set the price of your product. So you can set it at whatever you want. Uh, and you can target making whatever amount of money you need to make to keep your business going. Um, that's ultimately what you control. You don't control the amount of taxes that you pay. Yes, taxes are kind of for the greater good. Uh, they don't really benefit anyone other than Apple when you pay them directly to Apple. Um, so that's one thing. but they are your business partner. like they are what is enabling you to do business. Um, if you can find a way to do business outside of Apple, yeah. then you don't need to rely on Apple. But if you chose to kind of be an iOS developer, then by the definition of it, you are relying on <laughs> Apple, so you need to play by their game. Um, and yes, we can we can think that oh nowadays phones are kind of a given uh, a given right almost uh, <laughs> because without one you are kind of left behind socially um, to such a great extent. So uh, there are some very nuanced things and the government probably should take a lot more control um, over how businesses can decide to operate these uh, app stores, even though there's one app store. Everything else was not called an app store before Apple called it an app store. So uh, there's lots of nuance as to like why uh, things are kind of at this uh, point. Um, And I absolutely agree governments should take more control to kind of set boundaries as far as what Apple can accept, what Apple can reject. They've so far been the good dictator, right? Uh, They they kind of have been uh, Mm -hmm. dictating in our favor, but all it takes is one person to kind of come in and change all of that. uh, And then it will be a literal, uh, uh, like, shit show. Like, I don't know how to say it otherwise. Uh, You need one person to come into Apple and ruin it. Uh, And then we as developers have nothing because we're kind of heavily invested uh, in this one platform. But that was also our choice, right? As uh, developers setting forth our careers, uh, we chose to kind of embark on this vision because it's the thing that was most enjoyable to us. So uh, there's a lot of people fighting on both sides to kind of make this better. I don't think changing the commission rate serves anyone other than those making over a million dollars. If you make a hundred thousand dollars and get an extra 20%, cool. You can maybe buy a car uh, out of that. You cannot hire an employee to help you further your business. Like that's not a thing. So you've increased the amount of well-being that you can get for your family. Definitely. But in terms of growing your business and significantly changing things, it's not going to make a significant difference. Again, you could have changed your price and probably arrived at the same exact thing. Uh, Ultimately, we changed where the money is going, but it's the same amount of money in the end um, that you would be getting. So um, I know it's not what a lot of people want to hear. The change is welcome. Like, I'm not going to throw it back because I'm never going to make it more than a million dollars on the App Store. But as someone who makes less than $10,000 on the App Store from my own apps, like it's an insignificant difference. It could have been like a good week that made that difference yeah. uh, as opposed to Apple changing that commission.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, my app that I have on the app store right now as it is, you know, uh, barely pays for my developer. And that's $100 uh, a hundred dollars a year for those who don't know. Not like, it's
1: not a significant yeah, amount. I
0: No, but I'm stoked about it. Right. But 15 cents more or no i guess it would be 30 cents more uh is you know it's it's like nothing to me uh it's it literally is not going to make a difference at all uh so uh my you know my dad had this like interesting um uh, story that he would tell kind of dimitri along what you were saying where you know you changing your price is probably going to make a bigger difference he would always say that um so i live in utah and so you know we have a bunch of ski resorts here and there's this one ski resort uh, actually really close to where we live uh the closest one and for a long time i don't know if this is like the 60s or 70s or so maybe the 80s um they they were just kind of going downhill and they would keep hiking their prices lower and lower um, you know, it, to say, Hey, you know what, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, be cheaper. So more people will come. And it kind of had the opposite effect where, uh, once they started kind of marketing themselves and saying, Hey, uh, we are, you know, the same price, or may, they may have put their price a little above other ski resorts that had like this perceived value of, oh, wow, it's worth this amount of money. Not it's like, oh, it's, you know, $10 where everyone else is 30 or whatever. Um, so there really is like this weird psychology behind this perceived value of something. So, you know, if your app is 99 cents, maybe put it on the store for $2 or three or something. And, and honestly, uh, that might make a difference where even though it's, you know, more expensive, it's a couple dollars. And most people are probably willing to, uh, fork out that money, especially if it has that perceived value of a few more dollars rather than just 99 cents, which is the lowest price. And ultimately, of,
1: if you yeah. have an app that is on the app store and Apple's not featuring it, you're not marketing it, that difference, you're going to make the same amount of sales of the people that find it naturally. They're going to, it's going to be the same people, whether they bought it at a dollar, whether they bought it at $3. So you're going to increase your revenue. Um, ultimately, we are all banking as app as iOS app store developers. We are all banking on apps, Apple to feature our work because we're not product market marketers. We are hoping that others will kind of take it and spread it by word of mouth because there's not much influence that we as a developer can have externally to say, uh, look at this great product that we built. You can pour huge amounts of energy into it. um, And ultimately it's not going to be seen because there's a sea of apps out there and like you have to struggle to get noticed. Um, And yes, you can play the SEO game of like, trying to be the best, uh, results on Google and things like that. Um, and if you know how to play that game, then you're not going to be struggling to begin with. Uh, so, um, like, I,
2: I think, I think you've, you've summed it up really well in the sense that this is like, this is not yeah. very useful. There's a lot of problems in the app store, like the transparency during a review, the, um, yeah. Uh, like th- starting with a review of pigness, like that totally totally sucks. Like not being able to do anything when they say no, you got to change this, and you're like, but I didn't have to change it like three days ago, and now you get a different reviewer, or they're they're implementing the rules differently. That's very very frustrating. Or like no viable upgrade path. Like d- do you want to see indie developers happy? Make make it so that you can purchase an upgrade so that they can keep doing what they did for in the Mac for years. Like Tweetbot had to develop brand new apps and then I'm pretty sure they lost a sizable chunk of their people when, when migrating from one app to the other. Like if Apple were to do, uh, to give us a, a viable upgrade path, that'd be amazing. Or I mean, you could also like have, uh, a TikTok for apps, like, Give me something that like, because I, I, an indie developer can not develop that only Apple has the, the, like Apple has the monopoly on app presentation and app store, everything related to the app store. So why don't you give me something that just like you said, Dimitri, gives me exposure to people like an editorial, a feature is really amazing, but it takes time. It takes resources from everyone writing the editorial, getting the, uh, the, uh, assets from the developer uh getting the interview getting blah 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 like all of that takes a lot of time give me something that you can just blast to a billion people and it doesn't have to be the same like just open up your phone if you have a widget you can see the app of the day uh the most recently downloaded app in your uh radius i don't know like there's plenty of other really important issues that apple should be solving that they're not And this just reeks of, like, hypocrisy. Like, they're just doing it because of the Epic thing, because of the antitrust thing. Yeah, it's a quick solution. It's very, very frustrating. Um, And
1: they are steadily making progress. Like, there were features to kind of see apps that are in use in your general area. So, it's like, what is in use by the people around you, basically, rather than the the general populace they are doing a lot more features and they're not featuring one thing for seven days straight they're featuring different things multiple times a day um and they are they've drastically improved app review they have a new system where they can go and uh submit an appeal uh publicly um so that way you can go ahead and uh, get that improved so they are making progress but the 15 percent is not really where we want to see that progress publicly displayed we want to see the progress in the other areas
2: it's it's a very frustrating experience i think the well yeah i'll say one more thing it's very frustrating for people to defend apple on the internet for things like this we're all like we're all in a out of like what what is the watered down version of a cult <laughs> Like we're all in this, yeah. we, we've all drank the Kool-Aid. We, we all want to see Apple succeed. We're like, we're yeah. in here for for the long haul, but it's like, you don't need to defend a trillion dollar company for something that's not going to benefit almost anyone. There's yeah. huge problems that we need to solve. And this is not one of it. So I don't know. Very, very frustrating. Okay.
1: So, okay. uh, segueing to a different storyboard, if you will. Um, if you wanted to start development on the Mac, so as an iOS developer, kind of jumping to this brand new platform that apparently all iOS apps are now available on, on M1 Macs. Um, can,
0: can we pause real I quick? need to interrupt. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Yeah, can, can I? Fernando. Uh, yeah, can I step out for like 15 seconds? Oh, got it. Yeah. I'll right back yeah. and we can restart that thing. I'll right back.
1: Oh, now Fernando's gone. Yeah. I don't know if he closed his window, which would have been problematic. Oh. I thought he said give me fifteen seconds to say something.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, you're good. I it took me a second too. I was like, oh, he literally means to close the door.
1: Hello. Hi. <laughs> I thought you meant you I, needed fifteen seconds door open. to like say something. That's why I was like, oh, I'm no, waiting. No. <laughs>
2: oh that's what you said like do you have anything else and i was like uh no all right Right.
1: yeah (laughs) okay it was literally too close okay sorry i'm back (laughs) i I skimmed over that first part of the sentence completely (laughs) you're good sorry to cut you off there so segueing to a different storyboard if you will Um, If you want to start development on the Mac as an iOS developer jumping into a platform where apparently all your apps are now available, um, you could use all sorts of different technologies. So there's AppKit, the tried and true dinosaur of the frameworks. There's UIKit, which is just as much a dinosaur at this point in time. Uh, There's Catalyst, which allows you to use UIKit on the Mac. Uh, And you can use it in one of two flavors, like pure UIKit, if you will, uh, and then a mix of UI kit, but with app kit controls that are backing everything. Uh, you have Swift UI that you can use either via app kit or via uh, UI kit or access app kit controls via UI kit in Catalyst that are not available in UI kit. So lots of options that are available to you as a developer nowadays. What do you choose? So uh, have either of you kind of jumped into this wild, wild uh, west of Catalyst on the Mac. And what do you think about all these options? Uh,
0: I, I began to very briefly, uh, sort of when it was, uh, when it came out and also I, (laughs) I tried to use the, um, the, what, what did he call it? The marzipanify Mm -hmm. that Steve Trotten Smith, uh, came up with before, you know, catalyst was even like an official thing that you could do. Um, it's really cool. I think the biggest thing with me, for me is um, unless you put in a lot of work, which I I completely honestly haven't um, uh, to, you know, make it feel like a Mac app, uh, it feels like a half baked app to me. And it kind of feels like more or less on the same page as like, an Electron or a React Native app, or it doesn't quite feel like a native Mac experience. Way more performant to be um, completely fair. And like, y- true, yes, yes, absolutely more performant. But just, you know, feeling-wise, it's like, okay, it's a single window, probably, uh, you know, you don't get sort of a lot of just automatic Mac OS features that you would get if it was like a real, real Mac app. Uh, so for me, whenever I, you know, want to make a Mac app, I tend to lean towards just using AppKit. Um not to mention I am much less familiar with macOS than I or macOS development than I am uh, UIKit, so it's like an opportunity for me to learn. Uh but it's it's really interesting this dynamic now where it's not just like Mac apps have AppKit, iOS apps have UIKit, but we have this like whole kind of spectrum now that you can be on. Um and for me, uh you know when catalyst maybe uh grows or maybe i just haven't looked into it enough but i i have tended to shy away from it um that said i i think swift ui is great although uh i have noticed quite a few just random uh user interface kind of bugs in ios 14 and i would assume that's because of swift ui uh for example in widgets uh like the um I, I can't remember what they call it, like the smart widget where you can kind of scroll through different the widgets in everything. a single one. That one is buggy for me right now. Yeah, the stack. Um, my HomeKit uh, <laughs> panel doesn't work on my on uh, my control center. So, And I'm fairly sure those are all Swift UI things. And so uh, if, if Apple can't get it right, it's like, do I really wanna start using this right now? Does this need to be fleshed out a little bit more? Uh, I think in iOS 14, they brought a ton of awesome uh, Swift UI features, like the lazy grids and everything that makes it uh, a lot more viable than version one was, but still, uh, I just feel like I would rather stick with UIKit that has been AppKit fleshed out for a, a decade, kit. and I know that it's going to work. UIKit.
2: UIKit has or... more than a decade. Oh, you did I say UIKit? but you no, 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 initially
1: you said AppKit for starting out, so which is it, Spencer?
2: <laughs> oh, oh,
0: sorry, I missed the UI too. kit for iOS apps. That <laughs> okay. is kind of what I am going for. Um, App Kit obviously has been around for much longer. I, yeah, my bad. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it needs to evolve a little bit. It more, does, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I haven't touched it a lot, uh, but in general, I think Apple is Apple is. I feel correctly resisting the standardization of everything. Uh, they are like if they really wanted to they would have brought in something like that unifies all of the platforms I don't think Swift UI is that it's going to be like a really nice base uh, but my expectation is for them to have a Swift UI and then on build on top of it like specific uh, platform-specific uh, UI elements. That's what mm-hmm. I hope, certainly, because right now with AppKit, UIKit, Catalyst, Catalyst was a mistake. I don't, like, I don't see it as anything else other than a mistake. Like this was, this is. I think Catalyst is the iPad's um, iPhone app simulator, like something that it's likely that they needed to do just so that it's not completely barren, like, and it's a nice selling point, but in the end, we're just going to it's forget about it. More I feel. Than anything. Uh,
1: now yeah. to be clear, you can build a truly great Mac app using catalyst, but you need to put a ton more effort into it. Uh, including, yeah, exactly. but not limited to private API usage, having an external bundle plugin that imports app kit code into your supposedly pure uh, UI kit code. So it's not such a clear cut, oh, just go ahead and make it in UIKit kit if you're comfortable with UI kit, app kit if you're comfortable uh, in app kit. As someone who kind of started off with app moved to UI kit when the iPhone came out, and then have come back and forth, the main selling point for UIKit kit is it's newer and more modern. You have less like cruft, such as NSL. Uh, NSL takes care of a huge amount of underpinnings yep. for mac os uh, and even though it's deprecated it's still heavily used internally um, so you have very limited options in terms of customizability uh, for instance on my mac right now i have audio hijack pro running audio hijack pro has a very mac like ui that is not directly provided to you by the stock ns controls they heavily customize every button to look the way it does the window to look the way it does scroll bars to look the way they do and you can do this with AppKit, but you need to have known all the history that kind of went into AppKit in order to pull this off. You need to know what private APIs to uh, subclass, uh, so that way you can change that functionality. It's not really documented anymore. Uh, there are release, the, the closest thing you can get are release notes from 10.0 days, uh, 10.1, 10.2. Those are the ones that kind of outlined a lot of these major changes. Um, and release notes have kind of become less and less over time. We get them for Xcode, we get them for the betas, we don't get them for the frameworks, any more than we used to. So as a developer that has kind of done both, the biggest want from AppKit is not to replace it, it's to be able to customize it like you can UIKit. UIKit has a ton of customizability, uh, to go ahead and change how things work, uh, so there's a lot of opportunity there for Apple to kind of improve things, and they have been improving things little by little. They're, they're bringing over features from UIKit over to AppKit, but as soon as Catalyst came out, it feels like, oh, the writing's on the wall, AppKit is going away, when UIKit doesn't provide a replacement for any of that. UIKit is great for a single window, in fact, a single screen app. You have complete control over everything in the context of one thing, As soon as you have a powerful macOS app that has multiple windows, multiple panels, rearranging things that you can kind of uh, fall outside of that boundary of the screen, UIKit can't help you there, even in Catalyst. You're kind of still limited to individual scenes. You can't have panels that are just completely detached that you can customize the way you want. You can't control the full screen experience on the Mac. You can't control multiple displays very well. There's all sorts of architectural things that are just not there in UIKit because they never needed to, and if they're stapled on, they're not really helping. Now, SwiftUI is a fresh take on everything, um, and it has a lot of promise in terms of kind of being the best world because it has specific APIs for the platform. There's some things you can only do on Mac macOS and SwiftUI. There's some things you can only do on iOS on SwiftUI, and that's a good thing. That means that you have to think about how you're going to tailor your UI in different situations, but it can take care of a lot of that automaticness for you. The problem with SwiftUI is it's not built in SwiftUI. You have elements and controls that are all kind of provided for you. Uh, so here are your building blocks, but you can't build your own building block. You can't re implement a scroll view or a collection view yeah. in SwiftUI. You totally can in UIKit. Before there was NS Collection View, I built a two dimensional yep. table view from scratch, not using NS Table yep. View, but by manually laying out cells and calculating positions and Having a flexible data model that can accept a billion cells. Like it just works because you can go ahead and take care of all those little intricacies. And so if you are, you're kind of out of luck, you can use Jump to Reader uh, to some extent. You can use the preference keys uh, to some extent, but you don't have that full control uh, that is available because Apple's not using that. They're using <laughs> C to kind of do the layout for you uh, and give you set building blocks. Fernando, you look like you have
2: yeah interesting now that you mention it because because i remember doing that too like building building a table view or something just using a scroll view uh it used to be that you need to do like before they introduced collection view you had to do it that way it was it was that that way or you didn't present the the data like that um but and with swift ui it's very different uh it's Lego pieces. Like, this is your mm-hmm. Lego block and that's it. I
1: remember with UIKit, the only thing that mm-hmm. in the many, many years of UIKit up until that point, that was impossible to pull off yourself was the background blur that w- was introduced in iOS 7. You could literally build <laughs> out any component from UIKit using UIKit up until that point. Like, they, Apple wasn't doing anything special under the hood. There was no magic. Like, yes, there were private APIs to... Uh, use scroll views and table views in special ways that Apple's doing. Don't like it? You could build your own table view, and you can control that experience better than Apple could provide. You're on your own in terms of updating it and keeping it maintained, so it's a complete separate topic, but you could do it if you wanted to, um, and if you didn't use private APIs in the process, it would continue to work just the way you coded it. It wouldn't change over time. Uh, SwiftUI kind of doesn't allow for that, so... Until it can go ahead and do that, it's not a viable replacement for either. It's an addition, definitely. SwiftUI is awesome on both AppKit and UIKit for making very custom looking like widgets and controls on screen, just like core animation was when it just came out. It was like, oh, hey, you have this layer hierarchy, have at it, but you can't really introduce, uh, like views back into that. You just control the layer hierarchy from that point forward. So if UI goes a little bit further, you can mix and match and reintroduce. The only thing missing is kind of mixing and matching between UIKit and AppKit. Apple uses this internally, uh, which is like with the um, there's an idiom basically when you make a Catalyst app, do you want a UIKit Catalyst app or do you want a Mac like Catalyst app, which will use NS controls and things under the hood to give you native uh, metrics and layout. Uh, that is kind of comfortable for Mac users. Now, you can't go ahead and put in your own controls into there and you can't do the opposite. The best of both worlds would have been, you're on the Mac, you have an AppKit app, you want a UI uh, view controller that you can just kind of present and show in a specific spot, go for it. You want to put NS controls inside of that UI view controller, go for it. That would have been the sweet spot, I think, that kind of allows for the most flexibility and allows developers to kind of build the best apps that they're comfortable building like there's a lot of app kit that is just mm-hmm. a mess if you want to customize it <laughs> and it's control <laughs> and so uh, but the rest of it is architecturally sound it's built for making powerful apps from since the 80s like this is like a long time coming uh that app kit has been building on upon itself yeah. ui kit is a branch from app like it's taking the best ideas and kind of building them but it was specific to the iPhone. Uh, it kind of got stapled onto the iPad, and now it's being stapled onto the Mac. Uh, but yeah, it's not really a replacement I, I think, for either. Um, so I'm i would not necessarily really to worried about the
0: direction. Uh, I think Apple has a pretty good track record of uh, overall uh, evolving things and, and making things work well. But I think it's it's going to take a little bit of time where uh, it just doesn't quite feel as fleshed out as it could be. And hopefully within, you know, the next few years, we will get something like that, where all of these these different uh, UI frameworks are sort of more intercompatible, where you can choose the best thing that's, that's, uh, that works for your situation. And, and it isn't just like this, uh, you know, high level overlay, uh, you know, abstraction layer over whatever framework you're using, and you don't really have much control because that's where, you know, uh, like you said, ui kit app kit you can make basically anything and that's the cool part it's more work but swift ui doesn't allow for that it would be nice for you to be able to do that if you wanted to but also you know if you don't care then let swift ui handle it but give you that option at the very least if you wanted to um so i think you know uh, oh yeah i mean swift and mm-hmm. with and very Swift little UI code, enables I think all sorts of, you know, coming really, from really cool all of us too. from Lambda school, like, we've probably it's, it's all seen doing things that are impossible in the other ones. Uh, we're able to make some really incredible apps with Swift UI, uh, in very little time. Uh, and I think we've all probably done that as well. Uh, you know, the issue is when you start getting into a more complex app, then it, it becomes just like either near impossible or impossible to do something. So, Great for uh, smaller things, but, you know, as soon as you start needing to make something complex, then uh, that's where it becomes a little bit less uh, uh, viable, I suppose.
1: Fernando, so what's the verdict? If you're making a Mac app, what framework do you use?
2: If it is a Mac app, I would start with AppKit. Yep, Definitely. Uh, if you're if you're moving from an iPhone or iPad app to the Mac, I would still do AppKit, yeah. but I would try to make everything, uh, everything I can a framework, like all the business logic, all of the modeling, like everything. Just try and make it a framework. It may it it's probably going to be annoying, but it's going to be higher quality for sure. Um, and just to address uh, one point that Spencer made. um I am not I don't have high hopes for this, like uh, for, for the whole UI scene uh, right now. Uh, Apple doesn't move quickly anymore. Like they're mm. in general, they're very, very slow and 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 conscious of the decisions. So I I don't know. I don't see it. I see it improving. I don't see it like collapsing into one or two big frameworks again. Uh, I think I again I think Catalyst was a mistake. I don't know if SwiftUI yeah. was a mistake at this point because it feels <laughs> new and it feels like amazing. Uh but we already have like what's going to happen with AppKit? What's going to happen with UIKit? The fact that we're asking asking like, well, what of these four frameworks <laughs> should I use for developing for UI? Like, yeah, and, you know, oh, by the way in 5 I years they're gonna one of them they're is going to thrown co-exist. out. Don't pick I the don't wrong one. It... <laughs>
0: It's just like Objective C. Yeah, like, exactly. Just because exactly. we have this new so, thing, this um, new language, it's not like Objective C has gone anywhere, and it's it's still widely used, including you know, uh, in in many many large apps. So, I I hope that it doesn't just mm-hmm. you know, UIKit or AppKit doesn't just go away. If anything, I think they'll probably continue to evolve together, and just the the compatibility within them all uh, will get better, hopefully.
1: Yeah, and even if one framework does get deprecated, it will be supported for a very long time. Apple has been excellent with this, but <laughs> it's as if the writing is starting to appear on the yeah. fogged window of uh AppKit is on this way out. Um and it's not clear if UIKit is the best replacement for that. Um and it's clear that SwiftUI is not there yet. Um like it could be one more year, and then SwiftUI has all the capabilities to reimplement everything itself. And then at that point, like, might as well just go all in uh, with that because it can, it can, it, it's dogfooding itself in a way. It's not relying on AppKit, it's not relying on UIKit to provide a scroll view. Um, it's just implementing a scroll view by itself. Uh, so if we can get to that point, then it will be clear like what direction to go in. But as it is now, it's very. Uh, very much yeah. an unknown, but because it's an unknown and Apple's not giving a clear guidance, that also means that you use what you're comfortable with. Ultimately, um, nothing that we have today is going to go away significantly over the next few years. And unless you think your product is going to be a juggernaut that's going to be uh, selling for ten years straight, uh, like it's not really that big of a dish an issue. Uh, if it is selling for ten years straight, you are hopefully making enough revenue to. Keep that process going as you make your UI refreshes over time, you can switch to different technologies, and that's up to you as someone writing apps. Uh, so the opportunity yes, is there. A uh, I just think <laughs> it would be nicer if things were nicer. <laughs> okay, so this week's episode is brought to you by Pennant, calling all sports fans. Want to keep track of the season, but there's so many teams and not enough time? Check out Pennant, Pennant provides sports standings at a glance pennant displays league standings as a simple bar chart where the best teams rise to the top throughout the season of course you can dig in deeper with team stats game results and more version 10 introduced the all new customizable my pennant view where you can build a wide selection of visualizations for any sport division or team unlock pennant premium to add as many blocks as you'd like and put all of any of them on your home screen as a widget whether you follow MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, or MLS, Pennant has you covered with more sports and leagues coming soon. Thank you so much to Pennant for sponsoring code completion. Download Pennant on the iOS app store today to give it a try. So now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. So we have a winner for last week, Cody Morley, who said this was the coolest rabbit hole they've been down for a while. Um, and this is regarding uh, ARC for random and what its etymology was. So uh, although now referred via a backronym, a replacement call for random, uh, this is but a mnemonic, mnemonic. <laughs> one of those hard English words, uh, as uh, the original implementation was based on RC4, known as Rivest Cipher 4 That said, the algorithm was originally a trade secret, eventually spilled to the public. And the name was subsequently trademarked, leading to a different namesake, ARC4, or alleged RC4. The implementation of ARC Four random (laughs) has since changed and now uses AES under the hood on Apple platforms. But that's how it got its name uh, in all the craziness that is uh, technology history. So since Ben is out uh, this week, we'll be back with a new code, complete the code uh, next week. So if you have any ideas for good... Uh, complete the Codes that you'd like us to quiz our audience with, please send them over to us, DM us at CodeCompletion um, on Twitter. Uh, and we'd love to share them uh, and give a shout out to anyone who has good ideas for Complete the Code. So uh, that leads us uh, to our final uh, segment, Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Okay, so... This week, uh, by Fernando's special request, we have esoteric Objective-C standard library uh,
2: features.
1: (laughs) Great. So let's go to the first one. Tagged pointers encode their entire object into the non-addressing bits of a pointer, ultimately allowing faster allocations for specific hard-coded classes known by the runtime. Statement number two nsZone's primary purpose was to allow objects to be allocated within the same memory page, so swap would be fast, and those objects could be freed in one go. Statement number three, nsProxy is a non ns object base class that allows for message dispatch to be easily redirected to another object, but does not have an initializer implemented for subclasses to fall back on. And statement number four, underscore underscore ns atom is a special class that is ultimately the boolean opposite to nil any message you send it will always return an underscore underscore ns atom which is very intentionally (laughs) equal to one so uh fernando since you did so well Mm. last time why don't you go first
2: the returning champion uh so yeah uh this is an interesting one um uh, I don't know. I don't know. Bum bum TAC pointers does sound like like it would make sense. Um I, I don't know why it comes to mind NS string, the uh this specific name for the strings that you allocate using the add sign and the quotes. Um it does seem like like it would make sense. Um ns zones Purpose does seem to make sense, though my spider my Dimitri sense is tingling on that one. I uh, will leave that for, for later. Uh, nsProxy NS Proxy is the only non-NS object based class uh in Objective C. So that part is right. I don't know if it doesn't have an initializer, but I'm gonna I'm gonna think that that the catch here is that NS is the only an non nsobject based class. So I'm going to say yes. NS Adam I think I that one just sounds very I probably would have found about it already. It's interesting. I'm going to go with number 4. Final answer. Cuz the others more or less make sense to me. NS Adam I don't I've heard of it and if I have I don't think it returns it always returns yeah, one
0: I, this is this predates me I yeah I don't my, know my language or I'm my, gonna stick with four I <laughs> don't so. know much about objective-c that's the problem here <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, well I yeah but i mean fair, the amount of objective are c that i've written compared to swift is is very very little so <laughs> modern. Uh, I, <laughs> I just you know it, it's my own knowledge hampering <laughs> me right here uh not even dimitri's trickery um i yeah i would probably go with two or four as well um I guess I'll go two, uh, just so that we have uh, we cover fifty percent of this. Um, I, I have no explanation as to why, though. <laughs> That's good.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. So, to be completely fair, these are esoteric Magic. features as I as I prefix with. So, uh, <laughs> most Objective C developers are not at all expected to know any of this. um, It's Uh. not something that you really need to use in your day-to-day life as an Objective-C developer. It's very much in the academic space of like how this works under the hood. Um, That said, uh, let's go ahead and take these in order. Uh, So find my shade. There you go. I have a layer called shade. So this is a sketch document if you don't know. Uh, And I'm just kind of like toggling on layers as we go to kind of make it an animated presentation. Um, So let's start by number one. So tag pointers encode their entire object into the non-addressing bits of a pointer, ultimately allowing faster allocations for specific hard-coded classes known by the runtime. So this one is, fortunately for me, the compiler error. Uh, So there were two Ah. bits to this that I uh, tweaked to your downside. Uh, the first one is that tag pointers don't just encode their object into the non-addressing bits of a pointer. They use the entire addressing space of the pointer, uh, mm-hmm. which is just a number. So it's a, it's a uh, 64-bit uh, number on 64-bit platforms, which means there are lots of bits in there. Um, so the way this works is memory is aligned to a word, which is, I think, 16 bytes. Um, I could be mistaken on modern platforms, but I think it's 16 bytes. So if you have a pointer to something, it's always going to be in 16 byte increments, which means that the least significant bits in the pointer are never going to be anything other than an increment of 16. So you have a few zeros that you can just go ahead and manipulate there that are just not going to do anything because the CPU is going to ignore them, frankly. One thing you can do, is set the least most significant bit to one, and that will turn it into a tagged pointer. So basically when object C message send sees something that matches that one there, it will go ahead and just hijack the entire system and say, okay, this is a tag pointer. Let me look at the next few significant bits to see what kind of tag pointer it is. And depending on what it is, we can go ahead and determine if it's an NS number and a string uh, and so forth. Now, the second uh sneaky thing I sneaked into here uh, was that it's specific to hard coded classes known by the runtime, and this is also false so tags uh, I think zero through six included uh, refer to ns atom one ns string ns number, n s index pass ns object id and ns and allow for the remaining sixty bits. so think about it this way. you take four bits to encode one of those numbers, including that tag. And the remaining 60 bits out of 64 bits, you can do whatever you want with. So strings will encode strings in there, numbers will not code anything other than a double, uh, basically, uh, in there, um, dates, uh, and so, so forth. Uh, now, you can have more tags in that, and you can register them at runtime, which is really, really cool. So the next few bits allow you to encode up to 253 uh, other tags. Uh, so you basically use an entire byte. Um, and you can register them to be anything. So there's Objective-C Register Tagged Pointer Class, and assuming you pick a number that isn't in use, uh, you can go ahead and register your own class as a tag pointer, and Objectives Message Send will send the messages to your class to kind of operate on it. Now you need to do your own logic to kind of fit things in those remaining uh, 52 bits because now you used more bits for the tag itself, but it's a very uh, flexible system and very, very cool Uh, how it can kind of uh, obviate the need to allocate memory in the heap. So you just have a stack pointer. You have everything in there. Uh, It's essentially a value type uh, at that point, which can come around to bite you. Don't assume you can just compare NS number with equal equal. Uh, Sometimes you can sometimes you can't. Uh, So lots going on there, but it's a really, really cool technology to speed things up. And uh, it seems that on the M1 Max, uh, Objective-C Message Send is partially just run by the cpu so it's not even assembly of wow. individual instructions there's an objective c message send component to the cpu itself that will just kind of hijack and speed up this whole process <laughs> the six milliseconds i think which is just Nine. ridiculous so uh objective c takes the throne with its uh, <laughs> dynamic dispatch um hmm. and it's hand-tuned assembly turned into hand-tuned uh like logic gates i guess uh to kind of uh, be the be- fastest it can, which is really, really cool. <clears throat> so let's go to number two. So Spencer, you incorrectly thought this one was uh, wrong and you had no clue why, so I don't blame you. Uh, but NSObject it was not even a class. It's a struct uh, that was used pre uh, pre what we know as Foundation and AppKit when there was no retaining and releasing yet. So you had a computer with eight megabytes of RAM. <laughs> that was a lot at the time, but you didn't want to swap all too often because of the The hard drive next door was uh, months away on your calendar uh, for your appointment if you were the CPU. Uh, So uh, to make things fast, you can allocate a zone, which is just one page of memory. And you can put a bunch of objects into there and it'll kind of keep track of that for you. Uh, And then when it came time that you didn't need the zone anymore, you can just free the whole zone and that would clear out every object. Remember, you didn't have a way of individually retaining and releasing specific objects. So you didn't know if things were using them or not. So you could go ahead and attach a zone to a window. And then when that window was closed, it kind of erases everything um, and keeps track of it Hmm. uh, a little bit more simply. Um, So NS zones are not used anymore. I believe there are no op uh, in today's Objective-C. That said, in core foundation, you can still set up custom allocators, which serve the same purpose. Uh, So... It's it's an open realm for exploration if you really wanted to. I think Objective C also has internal bits uh, to stack allocate things, uh, which would make them value types. You don't want to dynamically change the memory layout of that though, because you can corrupt the stack. Uh, so all sorts of craziness happens in Objective C in the name of performance uh, as a way of getting around dynamic dispatch, which is uh, frankly awesome, but much slower than uh, like setting things in stone when things are compiled. So number three, NSProxy is a non NS object based class. Uh, and it's not the only non NS object based class you can make your own. Um, I think it's the only one provided by the system that is public. I think there are others. And if you kind of go through the class list, uh, and naively just assume, oh, all of these uh, like react to NS object like methods, uh, it will crash eventually. Um, I've, done, I've made that mistake when I'm kind of like looping through classes to see, oh, what are the subclasses of this base class so that I can automatically register them? Uh, you have to skip some entries uh, because you will just crash if you try to ask for the class name. Uh, things, basic things like that. Um, so there are other ones, but NSProxy is special in that it implements the bare minimum of an NSObject and nothing more. So it doesn't implement init, so that way if you're proxying an object and you need a proxy that init, uh, it will go ahead and proxy that properly. Um, so uh, it kind of leaves you to yourself to kind of allocate enough storage using a special method name that's not used by the object you're uh, proxying. Uh, but other than that, it kind of doesn't implement much else. So gets the basic runtime logic implemented using the NSObject protocol, which is similarly named, gets all this stuff done, uh, but it just does that. So it's a very cool class, very specific use cases. Great for kind of sticking yourself in between delicates and things like that. Uh, So do check it out. It's not hard to kind of make use of. It's fairly well documented, I think. Um, Check out Mike Ash's blog, uh, as usual, for kind of more knowledge on how to mess with these things. But it's all public API, so it's well supported. And this brings us to ultimately number four, which Fernando, uh, you had deep suspicions of. So to be fair, (laughs) this is a private class. if the single underscore didn't like make that clear, the second underscore was like the the nail in the coffin in terms of this is not public.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't think of it that way because you have to use underscore underscore block. Very true. Uh, <laughs> when using, yeah. So I was like, I'd never. So heard that's of to this. get around C. I I think it's, <laughs> it's a not... lie. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. so it
1: used to be that Apple said, hey, don't use underscores in any of your property names or any of your variables because, like, we reserve Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Eventually, it turned into, like, your instance variables. You can use underscores because we know you're trying to be, like, uh, Apple senpai over here, so you want to put underscores on your variables, too. Um, So, like, they've kind of loosened that, and they're used internally by app property. Uh, so that's kind of allowed, but that means that Apple's internal-internal stuff now has two underscores. If you ever look at class dump, it's uh, like kind of see the newer stuff. Um, and NSAtom is a special class that's hard-coded by the runtime, and it's a tagged pointer with a single one uh, at the beginning. So if you remember the tag pointers, it's the tag for NSAtom is zero, which means the tag of one, the first bit is a one, the next bit is a zero, uh, and then the rest doesn't really matter. The point of this is... It's the Boolean opposite of nil. So if you send hmm. any message to nil, you get nil or zero. Same thing. If you send any message to atom, you get one or atom. It's the same, same thing internally. Uh, so there's a single instance of it. You can send anything to it. You'll always get one. Um, I don't know if that's used heavily uh, internally. Um, it is a useful like paradigm that you can kind of use if you're abusing the C language. <laughs> Uh, and definitely if statements and things like that. Uh, Can this be misused? Definitely, that's probably why it's private. Um, So it usually comes up if you search for it online, uh, it usually comes up in the context of, oops, I accidentally sent an integer uh, as an object to something and everything still worked. Um, But it only works on the newer operating systems and not the older ones. uh, And that's because tag pointers are a feature of the new Objective-C runtime and older OSs didn't necessarily have it. So, Very esoteric, I will say, as I, to like comfort compiler, myself in my lack of uh, expertise. Great job knowledge. for not finding the answer. Um, I'm always happy when that happens. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the last one was the best. This is probably the worst.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released, and feel free to tweet at us if there's a topic you'd like us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with all your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the app process of app development. Uh, it's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R-T-O-S-R on Twitter. And Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S P E N C E R C C U R S U R T I S app uh for joining me this week uh my name once again is dimitri you can find me at dimitri bunil that's d-i-m-i-t-r-i-b-o-u-n-i-o-l and we'll see you all next week
2: bye